if you would take your Bibles and let's go to Daniel chapter number 9. You know, prophecy is one of those things that is um, often abused. Um, and I will tell you, there is probably more written. If you come into my office, uh, there's about three shelves uh, full of books that have been written on the subject of prophecy. Uh, dealing with everything that you could possibly think about when it comes to uh, prophecy uh, in the Word of God. And most of the time when we say prophecy, we're talking about the last days, all right? Uh, those days that will be coming in the future uh, that many believers are looking for, uh, mainly and specifically, of course, uh, if you've been in church very long, with inside of... Um, Baptist circles, you have heard the rapture uh, spoken of over and over and over again. And uh, we also find in the Word of God recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 as well as 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica said, I would not have you to be uninformed, brethren, that you do not grieve as those who have no hope. And understanding and realizing that those who have died in Christ will one day be resurrected again with him. Uh, when Jesus Christ returns, then all of those who have died in Christ will be uh, resurrected together at the time of the rapture. What we refer to as the rapture of the church, uh, the bride of Christ, where the bride of Christ will be caught up and um, united with the bridegroom and... Um, which we see recorded in scripture for us now i want to make sure that as we're going through all of this that you understand the differentiation between the rapture and the actual second coming of christ now there are some who will kind of mistakenly refer to those as the same but there's actually a second coming where jesus christ will physically return back to the earth he'll step one foot on the mount of olives he'll step one foot in jerusalem he'll have to physically come back during the thousand year reign Reestablish the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem where he will rule and reign for a thousand years from there known as the second coming so as we make our way through all of this and get through all of this material one of the things that you're going to need to understand and unfortunately we have to go back and we have to spend a lot of time there I'm sure probably many of you have heard of uh, ones in the Bible characters in the Bible such as Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of those that's preached about often, okay, uh, in, the, in the book of Nehemiah, especially when Nehemiah went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. There's another individual by the name of Zerubbabel, and uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra, uh, all surrounding the time of the Babylonian captivity and all of those things that transpired from there when Ezra and Zerubbabel came back after the Babylonian captivity. Um, of Judah and when the exiles came back from Babylon not all of them came back to Judah part of them remained in Babylon but there were a large number of those who came back from Babylon came back to Judah and of course Ezra and Zerubbabel were two of those that were key in that return when they came back one of the things we're also going to try to do is connect the Old Testament and the New Testament especially ones like Zerubbabel and Ezra himself uh, we're going to actually look at Matthew and Luke uh, as it talks about uh, them as well 
And so hopefully this will be interesting. And let me say this to you tonight. If you have any questions, please, please um, feel free. Don't hesitate. Um, you can email me. You can catch me afterwards. I'll be more than happy to talk with you about it. The email address is very is very simple. Email address. It's pastoratascensionbaptist.org. comes directly to my desk, so if you have any questions about anything that we go through, uh, then I'll be more than happy to attempt to answer your question, okay, and do my best. Daniel chapter 9 is where we will start. Uh, what kicks off the um, this uh, plan of God, this prophetic timeline of God? You know, many many are under the impression that it only encompasses a seven-year period. Well, it actually encompasses far greater than just seven years. It's actually a 490-year period. And you had to go back to the book of Daniel to see where the beginning and how all of this kind of all fits, how it all fits together. So let's start in Daniel chapter number 9. Uh, matter of fact, we'll start in verse 24. One of the things that I want you to understand, let me give you the setting of Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Um, the kingdom of Judah is in captivity in Babylon. Daniel is in Babylon. And so as we come to Daniel chapter 9, one of the things that you see at the very beginning of verse 24 is the 70 weeks. Or the 70 years that we see here, 70 sevens or 70 weeks of Daniel. So 70 times 7, which is 70 weeks, which is 70 sevens, is actually a total period of 490 years, right? Now, the captivity in Babylon, they actually spent uh, 70 years in captivity in Babylon, which was prophesied by the uh, prophet Jeremiah, uh, that we see at the beginning of chapter number 9, uh, when you look at the opening um, verses, um, if you go back to verse 1 and verse 2 of Daniel chapter 9, you'll find this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. They were in captivity for 70 years. They came out of captivity as the southern kingdom of Judah did. Unfortunately, the northern kingdom of Israel, made up of ten tribes, did not come out from underneath their bondage. They went into captivity uh, to Assyria, of which they never came out of. Uh, but the kingdom of Judah, or the southern kingdom of Judah, came out of captivity uh, after a 70-year period. So, verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks What's interesting about that is when you add the two of them together, you actually come up with 69, right? It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, 
the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. We go through that, and oftentimes we kind of wonder, well, what in the world does that look like? Uh, what in the world uh, is Daniel, as Gabriel has um, allowed Daniel to see this? Uh, there is a chart that you have, and it looks like this right here. And basically, on this chart, what it will do is it will take what we just read and kind of put it in a visual aspect for you to see, all right? And if you'll notice in that gray line that runs across right here, in this gray line, all right? When you look through that gray line, you'll notice some things in that gray line. But you also notice at the top, the Bible's prophetic timeline, Daniel's 70 weeks or 490 years. If you look in the first block on the left, the gray box, you will notice it says seven weeks or 49 years, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, decree issued in 444 B.C. Well, if you see that A at the top of that box, if you look down at the legend, you will see A, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes, uh, up to 444 B.C. provided the decree to allow the Jews to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 9 and 25 where we just read Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1 through verse number 8. We'll get to those in just a moment. Now in 396 B.C. the rebuilding was completed. Don't confuse that because actually two different buildings took place. Two rebuildings took place. One was, first of all, was the temple. Uh, the temple was rebuilt uh, to a degree, and then the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by Nehemiah. All right? When you move over from that first gray box over to the second gray box, you see it says 600, or 62 weeks, 434 years. You have the temple rebuilding and the modification by Herod in 19 B.C. Now, the temple was modified significantly by Herod. It became known as Herod's temple. So when you look at the temples and you look at the scripture, you begin with the wilderness tabernacle. The wilderness tabernacle that was, the instructions were given to Moses very specifically. It was portable. It was movable. They brought it all the way through their time in the wilderness. It came uh, also with the children of Israel when they crossed the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. Once they got into the land of Canaan, then the wilderness tabernacle found itself in the place of Shiloh. And that's where it was for, uh, for a period of time. It was in Shiloh. Matter of fact, how many of y'all remember Hannah and Elkanah and remember Eli the priest? Okay. Eli the priest ministered in that tabernacle in Shiloh for a period of time. When David became king over Israel, and David first went to Hebron, 
David was in Hebron for a period of time before he eventually went to Jerusalem. One of the things I think that we lose sight of and we mistake sometimes is we all think that Jerusalem has been uh, under the, uh, the control of Israel uh, ever since they went into the land of Canaan. Uh, but that is not the case. Uh, matter of fact, Jerusalem was actually held by the Jebusites. When David became king in Hebron, and David spent eight years in Hebron before God finally moved him on to Jerusalem. And matter of fact, they had to defeat the Jebusites when they went there. But when David got to Jerusalem, and David took the throne in Jerusalem, then uh, the tabernacle, of course, was moved. A place was made for it. A tent was made for it before eventually Solomon... Uh, built Solomon's temple so you have the wilderness tabernacle you have Solomon's temple and then that temple was destroyed of course when Babylon took Jerusalem uh, they destroyed the temple they destroyed the city they destroyed the walls of the city uh, so when Ezra and Zerubbabel came back they rebuilt the temple to some degree and then as you move into the New Testament one of the things that took place was Herod then completely kind of remodeled the temple put on some porticos and some other things on the temple and it became known as Herod's temple so you have the wilderness tabernacle you have Solomon's temple then you had a then you had Herod's temple and when you look at this sheet one of the other things that you will notice as you come down this sheet a little bit further uh, when you look at item D on the legend at the bottom you'll see in AD 70 uh, Titus led the Roman legions against Jerusalem and destroyed both the city and the temple of course Jesus said that was going to happen he prophesied that that was going to occur and it's exactly what happened so right now there is no temple when you go to Jerusalem today uh, there is no temple that's there uh, there is the temple mount the only thing that sits on the temple mount today is the dome of the rock uh, there's a Muslim mosque that is there um, and that is the only thing that exists right now on the temple mount now I will say this as part of the prophetic plan there is another temple that's going to be built uh, we have all of the dimensions and everything that have been given Ezekiel saw in a vision and so there will be what's referred to as the millennial temple uh, matter of fact over there now they refer to it as Ezekiel's temple um, and they're already there are plans in place right now for the building of that temple so we go from the wilderness tabernacle to Solomon's temple to Herod's temple that was destroyed in AD 70 and then another temple that will be built of course and constructed for the millennial kingdom all right there's another important uh, aspect on this uh, chart that you will look at it's actually C number C AD 33 it's Pentecost in the beginning of the church age or Acts chapter number 2 so when you look at the top of these right here you'll see these letters A, B, C and D okay and that is just kind of a placeholder to show you about on this um, plan or these dates of when these things are actually going to occur now you'll see that third gray box when you look at the third gray box over from the left, it's the period between the 69th and the 70th week of which um, C and D, AD 33, you had the beginning of the church age, and AD 70 when, of course, Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. Between the period of 69 and 70th week, referred to as the church age, we do not know how long this period is going to be, but you'll notice I put in there Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 through verse 27 so you'll have 
all of the dates. And then you see the very last gray box over there, which is the final 70th week of Daniel, known as the seven-year tribulation period, all right, uh, that ushers in and will usher in, of course, the millennial kingdom, uh, which will usher in also the second coming at the end of that final 70th week. And so, therefore, it completes the whole entire 70 weeks of Daniel, 70 sevens, 70 times seven, a total of 490 years. But there's also something interesting that most do not affix to these when they look at them. Uh, there is something that often gets left off. And what's interesting is what they try or attempt to do uh, with another place that we have recorded in the book of Daniel for us with another added time period that is often just kind of overlooked. And I've heard some people take these last two remaining time periods and they say, well, they're kind of up here at the front and they're used to prepare everybody and get everything ready for the 70th week of Daniel. Well, unfortunately, the problem with that is the context. The context of chapter 12 of the book of Daniel is they come at the end. They come at the last segment or the last portion. The 70th week of Daniel is divided into two parts. And so when we look at that second part, the midpoint when the Antichrist raises himself up in the temple and declares himself to be just as God, the abomination of desolation cease, and then we enter into the last part of the 70th week of Daniel. Well, if you turn to chapter number 12 of the book of Daniel, there are two other time periods or two other time frames <clears throat> that are given to us. And I want to make sure that you see these because the title, the total, and matter of fact, you use a Jewish calendar to calculate these, all right? So you have 70 weeks, okay? So the 70th week, <coughs> excuse me, which is a seven-year period. So you have that seven, uh, those seven years, those last seven years. If you divide seven years in half, that's three and a half years. If you use 360 days for a calendar year, the total then for three and a half years is 1,290 days. Everybody get that? Calculate that real quick. Take 360, multiply it times 3, and then take half of that and add it together, and you come up with 1,290 days. Two periods of 1,290 days, okay? And we do know that from Scripture. Now what I want you to do is notice that there's another time frame that is given to us that is often overlooked, uh, often just kind of left hanging out there because we're just not quite sure what to do with it. Well, let's go to uh, verse 8 of Daniel chapter number 12. All right? Verse 8 of Daniel chapter number 12. As for me, I heard but could not understand, so I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Now look at verse 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is, abol uh, is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, okay, let me tell you what that is. That's up from the beginning to the middle of the 70th week, which is 1,290 days. The abomination of desolation takes place at the midpoint. 
70th week of Daniel is divided into two parts, 1,290 days at the front, 1,290 days the last three and a half years. So at the abomination of desolation, when that takes place, at 1,290 days, something else is going to happen. And we see that in verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 or 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. It's divided into two periods. There's a 30-day period and a 45-day period. When you take 30 and 45, you add those together to 1,290 days. Well, guess what you get? 1,335 so what is this 30-day period and what's this 45-day period? What is, what, is, what is the intent of these remaining days that we see in Daniel chapter number 12? Well, 30 days is an interesting number. When you go in the Old Testament and you look at it, 30 days was set aside for mourning. They mourned for the body of Moses for 30 days. Uh, over and over and over again, you see where that 30-day period in Scripture um, is seen and often signified and associated with mourning. Then there's a 45-day period that brings you to that 1,335 days in that last portion. So what is that 45-day period? Well, keep in mind that the Antichrist is going to set himself up inside the temple, and he's going to set himself up as God. And basically, he is going to blaspheme and defame the very temple itself. So before they can minister in the temple during the millennial kingdom, something has to happen. There has to be a consecration of the temple. And so if you look under the law, one of the things that are stipulated under the law is any time that a consecration was to occur for anything associated with the temple, it was a 45-day period that that was set aside for that to occur. And so when we think about that and when we consider that, it's very important. You can't just take this time period and just throw it out the window and say, well, you know, we don't know so much what it, what it means or what it's associated with or what it's part of. Uh, there are many who attempt to try to put it all the way up at the front. And they say, well, this additional time period of 75 days is to get everything ready for when the rapture takes place. And I'm like, so what are you going to get ready? Okay. Because the scripture says that no one knows when Jesus Christ is going to return, when he's going to come back. So, what are, so what's the 75 days going to be for? And also the context of chapter number 12 brings it to the end of that 70-week period, not at the beginning of the period. Okay, So context is very important. And context is something that we have to make sure that we watch. Now, there was something else that we read in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26. And when you look at this sheet that you have in front of you, as you move from the second block over to that third gray block, you see the letter B right there at the end of the second gray block. Well, if you look down at the legend down there, there are the next two major events that take place. The anointed one would come, then he would be cut off, and so Jesus was crucified somewhere around 32 AD okay I, nobody nobody knows for certain 
exactly and can pinpoint it down exactly, it's somewhere around A.D. 32. All right? So that would place it right at that point when you look at the overall 490-year period. So this clock started 490-year period, 69 weeks are already done. 69 weeks are already gone. We're in between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel, what we refer to as the church age. That's where we are now. And I know everybody's wondering, so how long is the church age going to last? I don't know, okay? Uh, only God knows the answer to only God knows the answer to that question. Not any of us. All right. You have some printed notes uh, in front of you, and uh, what I'd like to do next is go ahead and kind of start through some of these printed notes. Um, this other sheet that you have that you see in front of you, this is referred to as the three returns from exile. And basically you'll see you have the temple that's rebuilt, the people are reformed, and the wall is rebuilt. You know, oftentimes we kind of... We mistake that and we place it that the walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah, he took care of the walls and the temple and all of that. Two different time frames, two different time periods. Ezra and Zerubbabel came back to begin the rebuilding of the temple. Then under the leadership of Nehemiah, and when the decree was made and allowed him to come back because as the temple was rebuilt, rebuilt, Ezra and Zerubbabel knew and understood that it would also need a wall repaired and placed back around it again and put back in its place. That's when Nehemiah came back to begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. All right, so let's start with number one uh, in your notes, all right? I'm going to give you some dates and some other things that we can go through. We're just going to take our time and walk through this very slowly. I'm not going to try and attempt to cover every bit of this uh, tonight. There's no way, all right? So we'll just take our time and we'll walk through all of this, all right? So um, you may want to go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 10 through verse 17. Um, the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem uh, that took place in 597 B.C., and the first deportation, which included the exile of King Jehoiachin, are generally considered the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. Uh, we feel like that is the time frame when it uh, began, uh, when, that, when the actual captivity of the southern kingdom of Judah, as they made their way into captivity into Babylon. But in 2 Kings chapter 24, beginning in verse number 10, you actually have recorded the deportation to Babylon, all right? Uh, it's actually recorded for us actually here in the Scripture. And notice verse 10 of 2 Kings chapter 24. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, went up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his captains and his officials. So the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He carried out from there. Now this is, this is important when you, when you look at verse 13, right? 
this is uh, you, need, you need to understand this because Nebuchadnezzar is getting ready to basically clear out and clean out the temple. All right, verse thirteen. He carried out from there all the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and the treasuries of the king's house. He cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, just as the Lord had said. Verse fourteen. You ought to underline, right, because you will see. This is where the exiles begin to make their journey. Then he led away into exile all Jerusalem and all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. So you remember when they took Daniel and all of them and transported them into Babylon, they basically went in there and Nebuchadnezzar Removed and took captive what we would refer to and what he referred to or looked at as the cream of the crop. And that's who he took with him. All right? Verse 15 So he led Jehoiachin away into exile to Babylon. Also, the king's mother and the king's wives and his officials and the leading men of the land, he led away into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All of the men of valor, 7,000. And the craftsmen and the smiths, 1,000. All strong and fit for war. And these the king of Babylon brought into exile to Babylon. Now let's go to Ezekiel. And notice as Ezekiel records for us as well what took place here. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, and we will look at verse number 2. And basically what I'm going to attempt to do as we work our way through here is we're going to connect all of these dots, okay? And you're going to watch as they flow through the Scripture. That's important because it gives you the context. It allows you to see as this 490-week period begins over here, as this 490-week period begins to run its course, we're going to be able to follow it and track it as it makes its way through. So as you come to Ezekiel chapter 1, and notice verse number 2, you'll notice something else, because it's going to tie us back to Second Kings that we just read. On the fifth of the month in the 50th year of who? Of King Jehoiachin's exile. So now we have connected those two events together in the Scripture. So the prophet Ezekiel, also understand this, that Ezekiel is also one of the exiles in Babylon. Ezekiel is there as well. So is Daniel. Daniel is there. Daniel is also there, all right, uh, in captivity. Let's go to chapter 33 and look at verse 21 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33. And verse 21. And now you'll see where we've taken the exiles and we find them now in the place in Babylon. All right? So, this is word of Jerusalem's capture here in verse 21. Now, in the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth of the tenth month, the refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying, the city has been taken. 
Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came. He opened my mouth at the time they came to me in the morning, so my mouth was open and I was no longer speechless. Now I want you to understand one thing. There was not just one single exile. There was multiple exile. There was not just one single one, but there was more than one exile when they were moved into Babylon, right? Before we get the total number that's inside of Babylon, right? And then chapter 40. Chapter 40 and verse number 1. This is where Ezekiel has the vision of the man with the measuring rod. As he is going to lay out the dimensions of the millennial temple. Right? But notice where he saw the vision. Verse 1 of chapter 40. In the 25th year of our exile. At the beginning of the year on the 10th of the month. In the 14th year after the city was taken on that same day. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me there. So we know Ezekiel is there as well. He's in Babylon as an exile as he received these visions all right so number two then in your notes the book of ezra uh we're going to go to the book of ezra and so let's go ahead and turn to the book of ezra all right um and it's interesting that you find ezra nehemiah and esther all right there associated together okay ezra nehemiah and esther Ezra chapter number 1. Cyrus is king, matter of fact, of the region of the Persian area, of the Persian region. Because keep in mind, if you remember the image of Nebuchadnezzar, you had the head of gold that was Babylon. When you come down from the head of gold, when you come down to the shoulders and to the breast area, there are two that we see there. It's the Medes and the Persians, okay? And so that's where we are. That is the period that we're in is during the Medes and the Persians. So when you look at verse number 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now let me tell you what we've just done. We've just connected Ezra here with the captivity. Now, as we associate it with the captivity, it also associates it with Jeremiah, who prophesied the captivity to Babylon. Jeremiah did. Jeremiah decreed that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. Do you notice how we're connecting all of this in the Scripture, which is so important here? If you want to understand the context, you have to do that. If you want to understand prophecy, you have to connect all of those dots. If not then you're going to wind up with a path is just not going to be clear or correct, okay? And we want to make sure that we follow this path correctly. So we find there is Jeremiah, and in verse 1, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor, whatever place he may live, 
Let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle together, with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is when you go to chapter number two, all right? Now, what we're going to do is next Sunday night, we're going to have a test over chapter number two. <laughs> I hear this. Sure. Okay. So what you're going to see out of chapter number 2 is those that are returning out of captivity from Babylon and you see numbers that are associated with them as well as the priests that are returning and I want you to also understand notice the three categories you have the people that are returning you have the priests that are returning and you also have the Levites that are returning so you see all of them in chapter number 2 as they're spelled out of all of those that are going to be returning Okay, and so we have all of those numbers associated there as well alright Number two in your notes, in the written set of notes, the book of Ezra covers two distinct time periods. Uh, that's one of the things that's important about the book of Ezra. Chapters 1 through 6 cover the 23 years uh, from the edict of Cyrus to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. That time period is somewhere around 538 B.C. to 515 B.C. Let me say something about these dates. These are approximate, all right? So don't say, Brother Robert said, it happens exactly on this date. These are approximate time frames, right? I can tell you right now, you can go read some Bible scholars and they may be off by a year or two, okay? Just depends on how they date them and where they place them. Uh, so uh, this is somewhere, it's an approximate time frame, the best that we have that we're able to lock down from Scripture, okay? So verse 1 through verse 6, or chapter 1 through chapter 6, deal with the first 23 years. Chapter 7 through chapter 10 of the book of Ezra deal with the events after Ezra returned from Babylon. And that was in 458 B.C. that he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Now, of course, everybody kind of wonders, well, who was Ezra? Who was he? I mean, who was this individual by which this book uh, in the Old Testament is written about? Who was Ezra? Well, number four in your, new, uh, in your notes, he was a scribe, he was a priest, he was a teacher of the law. One of the things that Ezra did was he led exiles back to Judea from Babylon. He led them back into the Judean region. Um, let's go to Ezra chapter number seven, and we'll see where he's actually uh, commissioned uh, by Artaxerxes. In chapter 7, in verse 25, he was commissioned by Artaxerxes to appoint magistrates and judges, okay, and to teach them to enforce the law of God and the law of the king in Judea. So look at chapter 7, verse 25 and verse 26. And notice it says, You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all of the people who are in the province beyond the river even all of those who know the laws of your God and you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king let judgment be executed upon him strictly whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment isn't that interesting commissioned by Artaxerxes Ezra was and so Ezra, as you see in your notes, number six, was one of the earliest and the most notable figures of the second temple Judaism. Okay? 
um, he is spoken of. Uh, matter of fact, if you read any of the rabbinical reading or writings, you will see Ezra spoken of and written about considerably in their writings. Uh, Ezra is mentioned in the traditions of the rabbis, the rabbis who wrote. Uh, Ezra is mentioned. He's associated with that second temple uh, time frame, especially when they made their way back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. Uh, number seven in your notes, Zerubbabel is identified as a descendant of David. That's interesting. I think you're going to find this to be a little interesting. Zerubbabel is identified as a descendant of David. I know, and it'll be okay, we can hear the pages as they turn, but I want you to go to the small, the minor prophet Haggai. Okay? Go to the minor prophet Haggai comes right after Zephaniah before Zechariah. Haggai is slid right in between the two of them. Okay? Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 1. All right. If you do some Okay, let me ask y'all a question. How many of y'all study when you go when you're when you're reading through the scripture and you're spending time in the Old Testament and you're going through all of those verses in the Old Testament, how many of you take the time to stop and spend in the genealogies? How many of you when you come to the genealogies you just kind of go Well, when you do that, you're going to miss out, okay? Uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, okay, associated with David, all right? So when you go back and you trace and you go back through the genealogies and you look at them, you're going to find we're going to make a progression here because I'm going to take you from the Old Testament all the way over to the New Testament as we look at the significance of Zerubbabel and who he is. He is actually the grandson of King Jehoiachin. That's who he is. And he's listed in Matthew and Luke's genealogies of Jesus. Did you realize that? Let's go to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. One of the things that you're going to find, you're going to see, depending on the translation that you have, you will either see Jeconiah or you see, will see Jehoiachin. They're the same, okay? They're the same individual. But now I want you to notice now as we connect those two individuals together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of who? Zerubbabel. He's listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen that? 
pretty significant when you consider it, okay? Let's go to Luke chapter number 3. Luke chapter number 3. I know some, there are some folks when they come to Zerubbabel, what they call him is they call him King Z. <laughs> okay? Because it's easier just to say that than to try to pronounce some of the words. Luke chapter number 3. The other genealogy that we have, uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, if you look at verse 27, the son of Jonan, the son of Rahisa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri. You see the connection there? Huh? Isn't that interesting? That Zerubbabel, who comes back from Babylon after the deportation, and he comes back to Jerusalem, is in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. It's interesting, isn't it? Wow. It's that time already. All of that's by way of introduction tonight, okay? I think what we probably need to do is to stop right here, okay? Um, and let me give you something to do before next Sunday night, okay? If you've got any questions, please... Uh, don't hesitate to let me know, but here's what we will do. We will actually pick up in these notes that you have in front of you. We will pick up with number nine. I would encourage you to go read the second chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Hey, if you want to read the first and the second chapter and the third chapter, go right ahead, okay? But we'll be specifically in the second chapter of the book of Nehemiah. All right? Okay, I know that's a lot of information. That's a lot of information. That's why I decided just to give you these notes, okay? Because there's, instead of you having to try to keep up with me, okay? If you still miss some, this is, this is live stream, so it's out, uh, available. You can, you can view it at any time and go back through it. If you have any questions or any comments, or you think, Brother Robert, you're just totally off base. You've missed this whole entire thing. I'm open-minded and open-hearted that I will be more than happy to sit down. Because let me say one thing to you tonight. I don't claim to have a corner on the market here. Okay. Basically what we're going to do is take the Word of God and let the Word of God speak for itself. Not going to add anything to it. Not going to take anything away from it. We'll just take it for what it says. Amen? And uh, we'll go from there. All right. Everybody saturated now? Okay. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer and, uh, and we'll go. As I said, I'll be up here at the front. You got any questions, any comments, uh, please. Uh, or you can email me at pastor at ascensionbaptist.org. Uh, it's that easy to do so. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. And oh, by the way, let me say this. What a good-looking crowd back on Sunday night. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is what I'm talking about. All right? Let's just get on with things. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And, Father, we thank you that we can study it together. And, Father, as we do, uh, Father, I pray that it would not be just strictly for knowledge. But, Father, we would understand that the clock is ticking. And, Father, we understand why your word says to redeem, to redeem the time because the days that we live in are evil. People need to hear the truth of the gospel. And, Father, may we carry it everywhere we go. And, Father, just uh, 
share it with those around us. Father, we ask now that you dismiss us with your love. Keep us safe as we travel home. And, uh, Father, we look forward uh, to returning again uh, to worship together. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You are dismissed.